Psalms 127. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Now we don't stop there. Go to Psalms 128, because they go together. And actually they go together with one of the other Psalms later on. <clears throat> Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands, happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall, see, shall bless thee out of Zion. And thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. Our launching pad this evening comes from verse 1 of the first chapter, Psalms 127. And I want to preach a message tonight entitled, The House That God Built. And as we look with anticipation and excitement for a well-attended married couples conference this coming Saturday, and perhaps an emphasis we'll have with Pastor Miracle that will be here and preaching about the home. I just felt like tonight as we're in our series, I felt like the Lord in a timely basis brought us along this way as we've been in this series to help encourage us about our homes and our families. And of course, I like to use the fall as an opportunity to just remind us of some things. And I pray tonight that God will help all of us to have a very teachable heart and spirit to his scriptures, his word, as we get ministered to and that the Lord would feed our souls. Now, Lord, tonight, thank you for the songs we've sung. Lord, for your people who are faithful, thank you, Lord, tonight. I, I'm just so thankful for, I'm surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ who love you. And uh, God, some could not be here tonight. They're hindered by one reason or another. I thank you tonight for our ushers who are serving outside, our nursery workers who are in the nursery room, our peewee and patch workers, and our children in the peewee and patch programs. Thank you, Lord, for those who are listening with, uh, with translation headsets tonight and those who are translating and Lord, for brothers and sisters who labored this morning with me around the church campus and now here tonight to have their souls fed by the word of God. And uh, Lord, from very practical things we see this evening, perhaps not think that theologically that's stimulating, but Lord, definitely Lord, that doctrinal and definitely Lord, that speaks to our hearts about our duties, responsibilities as husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, and as, as those who will perhaps enter in that phase of life one day. And God, I pray you'd meet the need of our church tonight. We know that strong churches are built upon strong homes. And God, we realize tonight that you give a very, very important statement here in Psalms 127, verse 1. You use one of those exception phrases, those exception uh, words that's used in the Bible, except the Lord build the house. 
And tonight, we, we must be convinced in our heart and by conviction that, God, it must be you who's building the home. And so tonight, just using as our summation, we ask tonight you'll help me. I pray, Father, for the enablement of the Holy Spirit. I pray you'd work past my weaknesses and my infirmities, my, my, um, my, my, my uh, just inability to articulate tonight. And God, I pray for the Spirit of God to work in a very precious way in our lives. Help me tonight that you'll help me to be a, a pastor that will feed the souls of your people. And I pray that you nourish our faith and strengthen us tonight. Help us to center tonight on making some definite decisions that will help us for the glory of God. And we'll thank you for all these things. And we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Building construction is a critical component of every economy. If you're someone who follows statistical data during the, during the year, you're probably, especially for our economy, you're probably studying, as the economists do, uh, how they measure year-to-year -year the requirements for building construction. You know, we want to know things like, uh, you know, did the building staff for new homes, did they increase or did they decrease? I mean, those are important components, of, components about a thriving community. And, of course, here in California, it's a big construction state. In California, we have a large number of track and custom-built homes that are here. And among the track home builders, we are familiar with names that perhaps as we drive by communities and drive through different areas, we see signage on the freeways and places like that with very prominent names that are out there. Names like D.R. Horton, Hovanian, KB Homes, Lennar, Pulte, Shea Homes, Standard Pacific, Toe Brothers, and a host of others. In the Bay Area, we are... Um, we are Perhaps favored, if you would, with some custom home builders or very well-known names for 25, 30, and 50 years and multi-generational uh, home builders that are, have existed and making, and making their living and doing such. And, of course, as we think about those things that we, we, we consider that a home, uh, we want a well-known name. We want somebody who's backing that home. We want to know that the construction, if you're buying a new track home, you want to know that the person that built it or the company that built it, that there's, there's a well-known name behind it and realizing that they sub out a lot of the work to subcontractors. And tonight, as we look at this subject of construction and building, we're reminded tonight in Psalms 127 and 128 that we see the emphasis on a master builder. It's important that you know who your builder is. It's important that you know that your builder has built with good quality materials there. And in Psalms 127, we see a very important principle about building our homes and building our churches. He said in verse 1, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Notice in Psalms 127 and 128, we are in steps number 8 and steps number 9. I covered 126 in the beginning of this series. I'll come back to Psalms 125. But Psalms 127 and 128 confront us about homes, houses, families, relationships. It emphasizes to us the construction, the continuance, and the contentment for every home. I mean, look at some of the words that the psalmist is using in, this, in, this, in, this, uh, in these two chapters. He's using words like accept and the Lord. And of course, as we look at all of these psalms in this series, I'm going higher. Every one of the psalms has an emphasis on the Lord. It's an emphasis that our security is in the Lord. Our help is in the Lord. Uh, you know, the Lord, it's the Lord's day. It's the Lord's house. We're building on the Lord. Look at Psalms 125, verse 1. Accept the Lord. And notice Psalms 126, verse 1. Uh, when the Lord, we saw last week in Psalms 124, if it had not been the Lord, everything's an emphasis upon the Lord. And we look at words like happy in verse 5 of chapter 127. We look at mighty man. In verse, in verse 4, and then Psalms 128, verse 1, we, we look at the blessed is everyone that is inclusive, men and women, boys and girls, and, 
He talks about the family here, the family unit there in one, verse 3 in chapter 128 about the wife and the children. And again, later on, he talks about blessed or happy is the man. And, and God, you know, God's interested. God, God's concerned about our families. And God's interested that we have happy homes and happy families. And God's interested in knowing that we're following a prescribed formula that he gives us there. Notice in Psalms 127, the superscription there. It is a psalm written by David. It was not written by the sons of Asaph. It's not written by Hezekiah. It's a psalm written by David. And it wasn't David writing to his people. It was a psalm David wrote to his son Solomon. Notice what it says there. A song of degrees for Solomon. David was concerned that his son would have a a thriving home and a happy home and building his home right. And of course, you know, you think about Solomon. We went through our series on Proverbs for about four years. God through David, handed everything over to Solomon. Solomon never knew a bad day in his life. In fact, you think about the name of Solomon. The name Solomon means peace. The name the prophet Nathan gave him was the name Jedidiah. Jedidiah is talking about being blessed of God or beloved of the Lord. And so Solomon was given names where literally everything was hand, hand given to him. He never had to fight a battle during his life, if you can imagine. He watched his father fight battles. He was a toddler watching his dad and as he made his way away from, uh, from the kingdom for a period of time because of Absalom's revolt. And he probably got embedded in his mind some of those things. He watched some of those meetings, perhaps of his father with those mighty men and the counsels that they had. And he probably saw some of the pushback his father got from men like Joab and people like that. And he saw some of the things his dad had to deal with during that brief period of time. But Solomon, as he grew up, he, he didn't know a bad day in his life. Everything had been handed down to them. And David, perhaps in the latter days of his life, is thinking about Solomon. He's thinking about his marriage. He's thinking about who he'd be married to one day and thinking about the children he'd had. And he writes this. It says, a song of degrees for Solomon. And he writes to Solomon about, Solomon, I want you to understand you're going to be taking some steps up. I want you to go higher in your home. And I want you to go higher in your family. And that's what God wants for you and me. God wants for you and I to go higher in our homes and higher in our families and go higher in our marriages. This is an unusual year where we've had, we've had a marriage in July and a marriage in August and a marriage just now in September and a marriage in October. And, and uh, I'm waiting for someone to fill up November, December. Candidates, you can fill that up. Amen. We've been blessed with, by God with a large number of baby dedications and children dedicated to the Lord. These, these have been wonderful years we've had in our church, and I don't foresee those stopping. But we must understand some principles here tonight about the house that God builds. I want you to see some things tonight. Notice the homes or house that God built, that we build, we must be built, it must be built by the Lord. We must have homes built by the Lord. Notice something that I mentioned this morning that I, I'm even guilty of having perhaps not correctly said. We always talk about when we read Psalms 27, we must build on the Lord, but that's not what the verse is talking about. The Lord is not talking about here, we must build on the Lord. It says, except the Lord build a home. We see a building fundamental here. That building fundamental is that God must be the one building the home. Look at verses 1 and 2. Except the Lord build the house. Except the Lord keep the city. The word except is a very strong word. It's a very strong word that is used throughout the Bible to telling us. It's one of what I call those exception phrases of the Bible that says that if, if, we, don't have, if we don't do it God's way, it's not going to work. That's what he's saying there. If we don't do it God's way, it's not going to, we're not going to have the happiness. And we're not going to have the joy we want. Consider this evening some of those exception verses except the Lord Jacob told the Lord except thou bless me I will not let thee go 
Think about Amos. He said in Amos 3.3, can two walk together except they be agreed? That's a good passage for marriages and a good passage for us understanding a biblical separation, both, both uh, positionally and, if you would, personally. He says, can two walk together except they be agreed? Hey, we've got to be on the same page uh, in terms of who our friendships are about doctrine. We've got to be on the same page about philosophy. We've got to be on the same page morally. We've got to be on the same page on those things. And Amos, God told Amos, except can two walk together except they be agreed. Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, 3, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Hey, those exception phrases, I mean, unless it's God and God's in it, there's a, there's a, there's, it's not going to happen. Jesus said in John 12, 24, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it dies, it bringeth forth much fruit. Hey, we've got to die to self. We've got to be like that corn of wheat that falls off the kernel and goes into the ground. And though it's dead, it embeds itself in that good, rich, fertile soil. It brings forth life. It brings forth fruit. That's the way of just the harvesting process. And we've got to understand that we've got to die to self. And we've got to bury that old flesh. Amen? And we've got to bury our, that flesh in our marriage. And we've got to bury that flesh in raising our children. Young people, you've got to bury that flesh in in terms of revering your, your parents and honoring your mother and father, we've got to die to self. Hey, we're going to have a great friend day in just a few weeks, and we're going to have great Sundays week after week, and we're going to be fruitful by, unto the Lord's glory. We've got to die to self. Listen, we've got to die to that old flesh. We've got to bury that old flesh. We've got to bury it and realize today that, that unless that flesh is buried and, and we die to self, we're not going to see the fruit God wants us to have. He goes on by saying in John 15, 4, Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except you abide in me. Listen, we don't have fellowship, a deep abiding fellowship in Jesus Christ. There's no fruit in our life. But he goes on by saying here in chapter 127, verse 1, Except the Lord build the home. Listen, there's a building fundamental here. We're not building it. God is the master builder. Listen, this evening, God has a blueprint for your marriage. God has a blueprint for your home. And young people, God, the moment God brought you into this world, God had a blueprint for every young person in this room tonight. He's a master builder. He has a master blueprint. Listen, if God is building our home, it's his blueprint. It's his materials. Notice verse, verse uh, 1 of Psalms 128. Here's one of those materials. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord. You know, I was wondering why I started reading Psalms 128. Why did he give a larger description? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Amen? That's the starting point there. You show me a man that fears God, that's a man who's in his word. You show me a man that fears God, that's a man who prays. And you show me a man that fears God, and he's got his family in church. And you show me a man that fears God, he's living for Jesus Christ, and he'll do whatever it takes to make sure he's got the hand of God upon his life. Amen? Notice verse 1, blessed is every one, husband and wife, parents and children. It's his blueprint, it's his material, it's his workmanship. It's his building. Who's building your home tonight? Who's building your marriage? Who's building your family? Hey, listen tonight. If it's the world, then you'll have the world's imprint and not God's. We're trying to get all of our ideas from Household Magazine and get all of our ideas from off the internet. It's got the world's imprint, not God's. If it's, if it's education and scholarship, it will have a humanistic imprint on it, not God's imprint. You better say amen to that. If it's you and me, it'll have my mark on it and your mark and not God's mark. Hey, God said, except the Lord build the house. 
And listen, there's some evidences that when God's building the house, there's just some evidences. We see 127, 128. There's some evidences that give a clear demarcation that somebody, somebody's doing something right here. God's building that home. The, the hand of God seems to be on him. The Lord's making his face to shine upon him. The Lord is with him. Hey, who's building our homes tonight, brother and sister in Christ? Look at the building material of fear, verse 1. not we're running from God, we're running to God. Amen? Fear of the Lord. Reverential awe. Then in our vocabulary is the, what comes forth from our heart is reflection of our love for Jesus. God, you're great, and God, you're awesome, and God, you're just, you're, you're, you're Lord. I, there's no, no words to describe how great you are. He said in verse 1 of Psalm 28, don't you notice this? Blessed is everyone, or happy is everyone, that feareth the Lord. Now there it is right there. And then he says, that walketh in his ways. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Notice how this fear of the Lord and the walking in his ways is brought out. We have to understand as we get to the book of Deuteronomy, it's a series of messages that, that Moses is giving to prepare Israel, to prepare this large congregation of people who spent 440 years in Egypt, bombarded by Egyptian philosophy, bombarded by all the Egyptian idolatries, bombarded by Egyptian education, Egyptian scholarship. In fact, Egyptian scholarship was so embedded in them. When you read Acts chapter 7, we read some things about how Moses, that God, God used that in Moses' life, but how Moses became a great orator and he was greatly educating those things. Hey, listen, we can have all the greatest education, be a good and exceptional in everything we do, but let me tell you tonight, if we're educating everything else, but we don't know anything about God, we failed. Amen? And aren't you notice Deuteronomy chapter 6? In Deuteronomy 6, they, he makes this statement here because Moses is getting them ready and he repeats his statements over and over again. But here he embeds these powerful statements about the fear of the Lord and the fear of the Lord is found by our acceptance of God's word and the prominence, or maybe I should say this, the preeminence of God's word in our homes. And he said in Proverbs 6, Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Now we know that's a great commandment. That's the fear of the Lord. I love you, Lord. Did you tell Jesus you loved him this morning? Did you mean it? Amen. I mean, do you love him right now? You love him so much that just, if God said, I'm going to take you home, if he told you, tap you on the shoulder, I'm going to take you home right now, would you say, Lord, I can't wait? Amen. Did you, in your trying, your moment of trial and your anxiety as you prayed this morning and unloaded your burden to God, did you say, Lord, I know these burdens hurt, but Lord, I love you still. And Lord, I'm having a hard time in home and our marriage probably is going on the rocks right now and our children are really not going the way they should, but God, I still love you in spite of all that. Thank you for trusting me with that trial, amen. And Lord, I, I'm having a hard time. A man came to me today and he said, Pastor, I need your prayers. And he's talking about his job, some stress he's got on his job, and some added costs he's got, and things of that nature. He said, Preacher, he said, all I'm asking today, I'm not asking for money, I'm not asking for handouts. All I'm asking for from you, would you pray for me? I said, Lord, thank you for this dear brother, and he loves you. And we love you. What I'm saying this morning, you know what I'm saying today. Hey, sometimes you can go long periods of time. You don't tell people you love them. Hey, we do the same thing with God. We go long periods of time. We don't tell God we love them. And sometimes we just say it because somebody else said it. We just shouldn't just say it because somebody else said it. We should do it because it comes from the bottom of our heart. Amen? 
And so he says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart. Look what he said in verse 7. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. And thou walkest by the way. When thou liest down. When thou risest up. I mean, think about that. This is not instruction in the house of God, even though you can't say that. This is instruction in our homes. Amen? Thou shalt teach them diligently in thy house to thy children. You shall talk of them when thou sittest. In thy... Hey, listen, you go home. Don't, don't, don't take the word of God and start dissecting. You take the word of God and exalt Jesus Christ. Amen? You don't dissect the Word of God, and you'll find debate and, and all these other things about the Word of God. I mean, the God's Word is, is settled. It's settled in heaven. It's settled here on earth, okay? There's nothing to debate. There's nothing to try to figure out. Everything is, that we need to know about God's Word is right here, and it's profitable for instruction, and, and, and the Bible says for instruction and for correction and reproof for our lives there. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, when thou rise up. Hey, I love it when I go to somebody's home, and they say something like Pastor, let's talk about the Word of God. Let's talk about, hey, explain to me what we were talking about last Sunday in the message. Hey, I got my boys here and I got my girls here. Would you, let's sit there. Can you explain to them what it all means? Then he goes on by saying this. Look at it. Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand. They shall be as frontless between thine eyes. Thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. I'm just saying tonight as we consider there's a building fundamental. There's the fear of the Lord. This fundamental is except the Lord build the house. Hey, who's building your home? But notice secondly, there's not only a building fundamental. Notice in verses 1 and 2, a building futility. Would you notice what he said in Psalms 127 verses 1 and 2? Now, the question we're asking tonight is, who's building our homes? And he said, except the Lord build a home, and notice the futility. They labor in vain that built it. You know what that's saying? They say, we're wasting our time. You're not going anywhere. You try all you want. If you're trying to do it your way, you've got your own philosophy, you've got your own mindset. You're going to bring traditions in instead of the truth. And there's nothing wrong with tradition, but when traditions take precedent over truth, we're telling God our traditions are more important than God. Hey, that's the very thing that God saved us out of is realizing when John wrote the, the book, the book of 1 John, he realized that traditions had settled in those people. They, were, they came out of pagan Gentile cultures there down there in Ephesus. And he had to remind them there in 1 John chapter 5, little children, keep thyself from idols. And reminds you tonight, the idols we worship in this generation are not physical objects and statues, things like that, but we worship intelligence. We worship wealth, and we worship education, and we worship titles, and things of that nature. He said, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain, they build it. Then he said in verse 1 something else, except the Lord keep the city. Oh, we think about all of our fortification, except the Lord keep the city. He said, the watchman waketh but in vain. The word vain is a, speaks about emptiness and futility. What are these futilities? Let me give you some of these futilities, and maybe you can sense it in your life. There's anxiety. Do you notice verse 2? 
vain for you. It's empty for you. It's meaningless for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sun. Now, not what he's saying there is not, not an excuse for somebody to say, well, I'm going to sleep until noon. That's not what he's saying there, amen? He's saying as we get involved and get caught up in the chase of life, early bird catches worm. That's true. But he said, it's vain for you to rise up early, to stay up late, to eat the, and he calls it the bread of sorrows. I've watched a lot of people chase the dream. Man, they get into their 20s, they get in their 30s, man, they, they're, they're chasing the dream, they're climbing the ladder, they're getting promoted, they're moving, they're moving around, I mean, all these are chasing the dream. Then they hit, they get in their 40s, they get in their 50s, they start, reality starts setting in. Some people in the same job for long periods of time. Maybe you're there. You've been in the same period of time. And your employer looks down at you and realizes, hey, you know what? I can hire somebody half your age at half of what I pay you to do the same job. And all of a sudden, you realize you're not as valuable as you thought you were. Your company starts deciding that they need to cut costs because economies change, things change. And they start looking. The very first they look to do, they'll tell you this. We've got to cut costs, and we're not profitable anymore. And we've got shareholder demand and all these other things they tell you. And they start to reduce and reduce and reduce. Hey, there's the bread of sorrows. And we spend the best part of our years, best part of our life. We're going through the chase. He says, it's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up, stay up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. There's anxiety, but you notice there's aging. You're not just getting older, you're aging. Bread of sorrows. You get the end of life. I've been in some beds, and I've been to many beds of people dying, and they're thinking, I ask them the question, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? And you know, I, I, I never, I've never had anybody at a, at, a, at a deathbed ever say to me with their final words, look at what I've accomplished. The biggest concern is, will I meet God? How am I going to meet the Lord? How did I spend my life? I've been by the bedsides of believers who tell me in private. They still ask their family to go outside. And they've asked me in private. They'll say some of this. Pastor, I wish I'd spent more time living for God. There's anxiety. There's aging. Notice there's an absence. says, the Lord doesn't build a house, we labor in vain. The Lord doesn't build a house to watch and wake it, but in vain. He's just watching, but he's wasting his time. Listen, blessings are absent, victories are absent, servants for God is absent, faith is absent, God is absent. Except the Lord build a house, who's building a home? Notice number two. How homes must be built by the Lord. Number two, our homes must be built on love. I want you to take some notes tonight, please. You know, Psalms 128, you have to connect it with 127 because it talks about the, the unit of the family. The design of a family is the highest form and safest place for relationships. You know, when God gave the prescription in Genesis 2.24, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, there he'll be fused to his wife, they become one flesh, He'll leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Incorporated in that one verse, as you get to the final verse, it says the man and woman, they were both naked and they were not ashamed. It, it describes the ultimate in family, if you would, family and marital security. 
And our homes are built on a lot of things, but the question we have to ask is, are our homes built on love? Is God's love working in our heart where that love is present? I want to give you some thoughts on Number one, I want you to think about the love of a husband. I saw an article the other day with something we already know, but the news article was pointing to single men and single women getting much later nowadays due to the lack of financial stability of the men. The women by their own choice, single women by their own choice, are being a little bit more careful and uh, not rushing into it because they are concerned, is the man I'm going to marry, does he, is he financially stable, is he employment stable, is there stability in a man? And, you know, and I'm not getting into people getting married late and whether that article is true or not and whether that's what you're doing, but I do want to say this. You know, guys, listen, man, this is for the men for a minute. Single guys, married guys. A woman may not tell you this, but her greatest desire next to your love for her and your love for Jesus Christ is what kind of stability you're going to give to that home and that family. And as a man, our greatest need we have to work on, regardless of what your background was, regardless of whether your father and mother were good to you or loving to you, it doesn't really matter. Your greatest need as a husband, your greatest need as a man, is to work and build on emotional security, that you build stability in your home by providing a loving and secure environment for your family. Women that are nervous wreck are like that because they grew up with a father or they've got a husband who's created emotional insecurity in their hearts there. Notice he says here, blessed is everyone that walketh in his ways. Hey, can I show you something here? Go with me to the book of Ruth. Go back a couple books here. Go with me to the book of Ruth. This is not in your notes, so you don't have to. But you need you to go back with me for a minute here. Go back to the book of Ruth, please. And I want you to just see a few thoughts here. I'm just going to pick, pick some verses here from the book of Ruth, chapter 2. And sometimes in marriage counseling, I'll, I'll instruct the men, especially if they came out of a home that was very challenged in terms of a, of a strong father figure or a strong husband figure there and, uh, in terms of their dad. And, I, and I sometimes, why don't, you, why don't you read through the book of Ruth from chapters 2, 3, and 4 and study the life of Boaz here. And there's so many things I could say about this, but I want to just give you some thoughts here tonight. And, and I do this tonight to, to encourage us as husbands and ladies to encourage you as a, as a wife or a prospective wife and how to encourage your husband. Notice in verse 4, the Bible says, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Now this is very unusual because the typical, the typical landowner really was, uh, was very harsh. It was driving production and profitability and getting a harvest done and getting as much to collect as they could. And Boaz was a very unusual man. He would walk into the, the fields. He would go out to the fields to greet his, his, his workers. He didn't send his superintendent out. He physically went there to do that. He was a very hands-on guy. And he goes there, and you could tell here as we read verses 4 and read our way through, that these are people that were really, they held him in high esteem, they held him in high respect, because Boaz was a man that exuded love, and he received love in return. And he came out every morning, he said something like this, the Lord bless thee, and they said, the Lord bless thee also there. Hey, listen, he instilled security to those people who work for him. I'm going to say tonight, when we get up in the morning, hey, listen, the best thing you could do, some of you guys are grouchy in the morning, get rid of your grouchiness, and wake up in the morning, say, good morning. Don't say, oh, good morning, Lord. Say, good Good morning. Say, Lord, it's good morning. I'm thankful that you're here today. I'm thankful that I get another day to serve God and enjoy with my family. He got up and said, the Lord blessed thee. And they said, the Lord blessed thee. And then he went over. 
was very observant. Look at verse 5. Then said Boaz to his servant that was set over the reapers, whose damsel is this? He was observant. Hey, dads and husbands, I want to encourage you tonight. Be observant. The greatest fault we have, the Bible tells us that we need to be first John, now first Peter 3, 7, husbands. The Bible says, likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel. We've got to be observant. Giving honor means catch it. Don't wait for your wife. I'm guilty of this. Don't wait for your wife to say, did you notice? Did you see? You didn't notice. You didn't see. You know? And I think we have to remind ourselves that we've got to be observant. Boaz was observant. Then notice a little bit later. Boaz was a man that dispensed with great grace. Notice in verse 8, he said to Ruth, he said, Hearest thou not, my daughter, go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art a thirst, go into the vessel and drink of that which the young men have drawn. I want you to understand the background. Listen, she was, she was, she was reaping behind. She was, uh, getting hand, uh, they, she was reaping behind all the reapers. She was just gathering up whatever was left behind. And listen, in a typical day, if you just got a handful, you did pretty good. She got more than a handful that day. And uh, Boaz, of course, he's showing some attraction to her in these verses. Great, great just thoughts on courtship there. He's showing some attraction to her, but he was showing some care and some grace. He did something out of grace that was unheard of of a man his day. He said, listen, here's what I want you to do. You, you, just, you just go ahead and get as much as you can. And I've told my young men they're not to mess with you. They're not to touch you. And I've already told our young men they're not to mess with you. And he says, listen, if you get thirsty, you go in the house and drink of the water. You tell the young men to draw the water for you. And she said, anything you need will take care of that and notice her response because she saw the great grace was was dispensed upon her and I love verse 10 it says it says this then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and she said unto him why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me seeing I am a stranger and that's exactly what kind of husband we should be why have I found such grace how you're so good to me you're better to me than I deserve. By the way, that's what we should say to Jesus every day. Amen? You're better to me than I deserve. He says, blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord and walketh in his ways. Gentlemen, do you love your wife with a faithful, patient, and sacrificial love? Are you walking the Spirit? So that your wife has a sense of stability about your future together. Ladies, you young ladies who are still single and praying for a husband, that's a good thing. Your first qualifying question is ask the man who's interested in you, tell me about your walk with God. Watch during the services. See down the aisle. Vet him very carefully. I want to talk to couples who've been saved for a long time and married. Don't take this wrong. But I think if our wives tell us, hey, it's been a long time since we've been down the aisle together, how about we go tonight? I think as a husband, I'd say, you know, you're right. I'm going to humble myself. We need to do that. Amen. Are you in your marriage for what you get out of it or for what you're putting into it? You're a spiritual man who loves, 
who leads and is long-suffering. We see the love of a husband. Notice secondly, did you notice the love of a wife? I love the description he gives in Psalms 128. Would you notice this? He talks about this man who's building materials, fearing the Lord. By the way, the fear of the Lord, it, it, it covers everything there, okay? He says, I walked in the ways of God. And he says, that man, he, he describes this man, he says in verse 2, Thou shalt eat the labor of thy hands, happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. And then he makes this, uh, this incredible statement about this man's home. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. We have a saying, a happy wife is a happy life. Amen? That's what he's saying there. But ladies, I'll be honest with you, probably if you grew up in most homes, what you are as a wife is what probably you saw in your home. And thank God if you grew up in a good home and a godly home where there's love and all of that, you, you know that. But I'm going to give you some things tonight. Notice with me Proverbs 31, please. Would you turn there? In Proverbs 31, we saw in this description about the virtuous woman. He asked the question, who can find a virtuous woman for a price as far above rubies? I, I believe there was a moment of time when he said, I think I found her. And some have said this is unattainable. I don't believe that. I don't think God would have put this here if it was unattainable. But let me give you some things. Just as much as a husband needs to give security, stability uh, to the home and financial stability to the home, I think in the same way, a wife needs to instill confidence and respect in the heart of her husband. That's the Ephesians chapter 5 principle. Confidence and respect in the heart of her husband. You want to turn your husband's heart from you? Be disrespectful. Get on his case all the time. Be a dripping fossil all the time. You keep that up for six months at a time, and you're going to wonder why things are a little bit hard in your home. Notice some things he says here in verse 11. Very first thing he says here, he says, listen, this, this virtuous woman, her focus is not on, on all these other things. Her focus is on her husband. Her ministry is her husband. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days. Of you know what that's saying there? He's not going to go shopping in another supermarket. He's found what God wanted to have right there with that wife of his. Amen. She would do him good and not evil all the days of her life. The heart of her husband does safely trust her. Notice something else in verse 25. It describes this, this virtuous woman in her marriage. It says, strength and honor are, are her clothing. Strength and honor. She's honorable in her life. It doesn't mean she has a strong personality. It means that she's strong in the Lord. She's strong in her, her, her spiritual power. She knows when to say things. She knows when not to say things. She knows when to be there and when not to be there. Strength and honor are her clothing. What's the strength and honor? All the things previous to that. And she so encourages her husband, and she's such an inspiration to her husband. Notice in verse 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. He's held in high respect as a man whose words are profitable to other people, who's wise in his way. She helps encourage him and build him up in the way there. Then notice something else it says here in verse 26. She opened her mouth with wisdom. And in her mouth is the law of kindness. She puts her household first, verse 27. She looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. I love verse 28, 29. <coughs> 
Her children rise up and they see her. And it doesn't mean she's not without fault because, listen, this is a woman that does stay up late at night and works and she, she's at the spindle and she's tearing for her home and she's observant of the seasons and things of that nature. But her children rise up and they call her blessed. They can ask a question for every child in this home. When's the last time you told your mother she's blessed? Her children rise up and call her blessed. But notice verse 28, men, her husband also. And he praises her. The love of the wife, the fruitful vine around the sides of the house. But notice the love for the children. Go back to Psalms 128, please. Now, Psalms 127, 28, he's dealing with the fact that we're going beyond our marriage. And he says in verse 3, I love what it says in Psalms 127, verse 3. He says, uh, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord. That's the lasting legacy God gives you for a marriage. Thank God for your children tonight. Amen? They're God's legacy. He's the, that's the reward of marriage. He says in verse 3, Lo, children are heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. You want to see, understand how great that was? Go back and read the life of Hannah in 1 Samuel 1 and 2. Man, she was thankful for that. How God opened her womb and gave her children. Notice something else for love of our children. Secondly, they require spiritually mature direction. What you notice in verse 4. Arrows as arrows in the hand of a mighty man. The first qualifier is a mighty man. Man, we've got to be strong in the Lord. Strong in our love for God. Strong in the word of God. Hey, it doesn't matter how much doctrine we know. We must be strong. Strength means also gentleness and meekness in our lives. Knowing when to respond. Hey, we've got to be careful we don't fly off the handle with our kids. We, they just need to know that, hey, you know, you're there for them. And again, it's this emotional and, and uh, stability they need. And he's talking about arrows in the hands of a mighty man. Have you ever gone, you've ever used, involved with archery? You know, it takes a little bit of, it takes several things. It takes some strength. Because the tension on, that, on the, the string of that bow is, is, is very tight. It takes steadiness. You realize that no matter how much weightlifting you, you've done and how strong you may be, it's, it's a different kind of strength that's involved with that because you, there's some body mechanics involved with that. And you understand that as you hold that, you hold that bow, that you want, you, you're aiming at a, a, at a certain point. You're aiming at a direction. Hey, listen, what you aim at, you hit. He's saying here, as arrows in the hands of a mighty man. He's talking about our, our lives, that we've got to be intricately involved and strongly involved with their lives. And we need to aim and give them a direction so they know where they're going. Hey, listen, a child left himself bringeth his mother to shame the bible says train up a child in the way in which he should go that when he's old he shall not depart from it if there needs to be we need to see ourselves as 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 the mighty men and we need to see our children as arrows in our hands we've got to be very careful and precise that we're giving direction and pointing them in the right direction there but you notice this thirdly correction and discipline are requirements in order for them to turn out decently Obediently, diligently, respectfully, and responsibly. In Psalm Proverbs 23, David, uh, Solomon is making a plea to his son Rehoboam. He says, Rehoboam, give me thy heart. Here's the challenge with that. When you read all of that, it was too late. Rehoboam was a much older man, and he didn't get his son's heart at that time for whatever reason. It doesn't mean Solomon failed in what he did, but he was crying out to his son, give me your heart. When your children give your heart, you don't have to ask for that. They give you their hearts because they've seen you working, and you haven't provoked them to wrath, and you're loving them, and giving them the guidance and correction they need there. 
Fifth, we need to love our children. Amen? He says, as arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. I'll just tell you this, we can never love our children enough. Just like you can never love your spouse enough, you can never love your children enough. I give you some thoughts this morning, this evening, as we think about the love for children. The goal is character, not college. That doesn't mean you shouldn't send them to college, but I said the goal is character, not college. Character. The goal is respect and reputation and not just riches. Don't raise a jerk. Raise up someone for Jesus. Amen? The goal is serving the Lord and not sports. Provoking our children wrath. A lot of parents come ask the question, well, Pastor, what does it mean here? Provoke not your children wrath. It means that we must have a fine balance between high control and high love. You have too much control, you're going you're to provoke them to wrath. You have too much love and you overindulge them, you're going to provoke them to wrath. They're, they're, just, they're never going to be pleased by things. And then would you notice the love of the children? This is for the young people this, morning, this evening. He describes them in Psalms 128, verse 3. He says, Thy children like olive plants about thy table. As men get older, as families start to become generational, I think one of the things that families enjoy, parents enjoy, and I think most parents are there if you've been around for a little bit, is you just enjoy having all the family home. You ask some of the parents who've been around for a little while, they just enjoy having all the children. Bob and Sally just have their daughter with them. That was a joy. I'm just watching them. They just enjoyed having their daughter with them. And some of their, their kids are all over the place. I mean, it's a joy for them to have a family reunion and get together. For some of us, our families are local. It's just a joy when everybody can have their schedules on the same page and be together there and have meals together. He's talking about the children are going to be like olive plants round about thy table. I want you to notice with me the fifth commandment. It's found in Exodus chapter 20. That might be in your notes. And children, the love of the children, I'm talking about your love for your parents. The fifth commandment says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. That's kind of interesting that God gives us a family commandment. He tells the children, it's a commandment of God. He says, Honor thy father and thy mother. Honor thy father and mother. It's a command given to young people. Well, young people always come back to me and ask the question, Well, Pastor Fong, if, if God command, where's the commandment for the parents? It's the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. Amen? Ephesians 6, 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Notice this, for this is right. You may not agree, but it's the right thing to do. You know, you go to work, you're going to learn this when you go to work someday, young people. You're going to have an employer, and by the way, most employers, most managers, they just got kind of promoted. They really were never, never properly trained, you know. And they're going to tell you to do things, and you're going to say, you're going to scratch your head, say, that's not what I learned before, and this, I don't understand. But you know, if you want to keep your job, you do it. Hey, listen. You want to keep peace at home? Do it with the right thing is at home. Parents, your kids, they have a rebellious nature. They're not going to want to do right. You have to lead them to do right. You have to show them how to do right. Repetition is part of training them. So young people, let me give you some things. And parents look around you. You see a young person. You've got a child here today. Make sure they're taking notes right now, okay? Listen to this, children. It's a sin to argue and debate with your parents on matters where you must obey. I didn't hear an amen on that. Some of the kids are going on this. Oh, boy, I'm in trouble now. It is a sin to argue and debate with your parents on things that are right. I'm just telling you, that's what the Bible says. You're not honoring your father and mother if you're arguing and debating with them. 
I would tell you, families, if you're going to have your children memorize the Ten, uh, the ten Commandments, I'd start with commandment number five. What should be the second one? Commandment number six, thou shalt not kill. And put your name and say, I will not kill. Amen? You know? Here's the second thing. Okay. We have, we're, uh, the Bible talks about in Romans chapter 12, being not conformed to this world. Conformity is when we have all these pressures pushing us and trying to mold us, okay? So, children, there, there are, the pattern of the world is, and I'm going to just give you things, this has been around, this is nothing new, but it's how children or young people respond back to their parents. Uh, for instance, uh, Billy, go do this. Dad, I'm too busy. Or Susie, uh, can you come over and help me with this? And she says, how come my friends get to do this, but I, they get to do something, but I have to do this? Or here's one that's been around for a long time. You probably heard this one. Here's one that's still, that's still circulating, even in the 21st century. They'll say something like this, it's a free country. Now, if you tell me it's a free country, I'm going to show you what communism is all about. Amen? I won't talk about capital punishment. I'll talk about solitary confinement. Amen? That's the pattern of the world. When you say, listen, God took a record of that. If you're a young person, you said that to your parents, God's taken a record of that. That's, that's, that's recorded there. That's a sin. Parents and children, it's a sin to lie. It's a sin to lie. Hey, dads and moms, Listen to me tonight, because it's in our church. You've got to be on the same page about biblical correction. It's called chastening. It's called discipline. It's called spanking. You better be on the same page. Listen, you say, well, you know what? I'm afraid I'm going to hurt them. You won't hurt them. You're hurting yourself. Listen to some things the Bible says. I don't have time to get into this, but listen to some things he says here. The rod... And reproof. Now listen, you don't, you don't do the, the physical correction without having the verbal correction with it. The rod and proof, listen, give correction. That's God's timeless word. God is not a liar, amen? The rod and reproof, give correction. Hey, watch this. Withhold not correction from the child. Listen to this. The rod and reproof, give wisdom. We can go on and on and on. We say, well, I'm afraid I'm going to kill them. Proverbs says you won't kill them. I promise you, amen? You won't hurt them. Listen, you're hurting yourself if you're not applying. You're not, and by the way, he's, the nurture and admonition, Lord, the word admonition is where we get our word chastening from. Here's another one. Parents, listen to me tonight, okay? Kids, parents, do not skip church or encourage your children to skip church. Bible reading and prayer. Hey, listen, when you've done that, you said, you said something in motion that you cannot unwind. When we mistakenly, if we don't explain things carefully, and we let school and education, sports, competition, whatever else it has, become more important than God, we have crossed the line, and we don't realize we've said something. Now, I understand, okay, don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you you're, that you're, you've done something wrong, or maybe, you know, maybe a situation where your kid, kid has a final next day, and they really need to cram, and they're really just, they really need to just do I understand that, okay? I understand that. But listen, Sunday's still the Lord's day, Amen. 
And I understand all the pressures. I've got the pressures too. Listen, I've had, I've got, I had a funeral yesterday. I had a wedding yesterday, uh, the day before. I had today that I had to get prepared for. I mean, you talk about being under the crunch of all that and still trying to minister to people that are hurting through the last, the last uh, three, three or four days. And we've got a funeral tomorrow. Then I go into next week and we've got a bunch of things going on. I mean, I understand all that. And, and while we're sitting here and just maybe there's no trial in life, there's other people in our church that have trials. They're going on with things and just trying to want, they're kind of wondering, how am I going to make it to tomorrow? As we look at these things, I want to remind you today to skip, to, to encourage your children, or your encouragers to skip church. Man, you're sending some bad things in motion. You do it once, you do it twice, you do it three times. Listen, your kid's going to say, well, it's okay, mom and dad skip church, so why don't I skip church? I'm just telling you. John said, keep yourself from idols. Hey, in my devotion this week, Hezekiah opened his home up to the king of Babylon. The king of Babylon sent his servants. He said, hey, let me tell you everything I've got here. Let me show you my gold and my silver. Let me show you all the vessels we have. Let me show you the house of God and all this stuff. Word got back to prophet Isaiah. Isaiah said, who'd you let in the house? He said, what happened here? We're going to tell me, well, who are these people? Who are these people who came to your home? And he asked this question, what have they seen in thy house? I want to ask you a question. What are they seeing in your house? I'm a place in life right now, I want you to get ready for the future. I want you to think about where we're going to be, parents, 10 years from now, and 15 years from now. Who are we passing the baton to in this church? Who are going to be the future Sunday school teachers and bus workers and things of that nature? And I want you to think with me tonight, if you're not teaching your children respect for God's man, for God's house, for God's book, for God's law, for God's name, listen, we're in big trouble in about five years from now. In big trouble. Now, whether they follow you or not, that's their decision. But I'm going to tell you, if you have good influence and a godly influence, and you've got credibility. By the way, the, bet, the worst thing to do is hurt your credibility as a mom and dad. When you've hurt that, it's done. Let me say a few other things. Children, listen to me. And teens, use the restroom before church starts. There's all this stuff going on back and forth in the restroom in between the meds. Use the restroom before church starts. You're loading up on whatever you're drinking, you're hydrating yourself 10 minutes before church. No wonder you've got to get up 20 minutes into the service. Listen, don't get, get some good habits here, amen? And parents, of course, I want to encourage you tonight. Let's, um, children, let's let God's word work in our hearts. When invitation time comes, we say, man, the Lord spoke to my heart today. The Lord spoke to my heart in this service. Thank God for that. I read the story back in February 24th, 2001, a, a one-year-old Canadian girl by the name of Erica Nordby up in Edmonton, Canada, somehow opened the front door of the house during winter, a bad, snowy winter day, sub-zero weather, and walked out without a coat or shoes. And the mother realized that little Erica was gone and went frantic, walked outside. She hardly went 50 yards and found her daughter on the ground. And she touched her. She felt like she was like a popsicle. One year and a half years old. The mother quickly called the paramedics. They rushed little Erica to Edmonton's Stallone Children's Health Center. The mother's crying and weeping because when she touched her daughter, she felt just like a popsicle. Her worst fears were, do you have frostbite? Is she dead? Hardly getting any breathing out of her. Did they get a pulse out of her? 
Amazingly, the medical staff at Edmonton Stolley Children's Hospital were able to resuscitate this little girl. No brain damage. In a few days, they gave her a clear bill of health and progress to go home. And tonight, as I think about, as I think about building our homes on love, Jesus spoke to church at Ephesus, whose love had grown cold. And sometimes we can be in our homes, and we can have all the marriage conferences we want, but we better revive those old cold hearts, amen? We have to catch ourselves every now and then that perhaps we've gotten a little bit frozen in our hearts and our emotions and our, what we're doing. We've got to get that thought out, and we need to go to God's Word and to the Holy Spirit of God to thaw us out and resuscitate us and bring us back to a place where that love comes back, that fervor comes back, that zeal comes back. So number one, our homes must be built by the Lord. Number two, our homes must be built with, with love. But quickly notice, number three, our homes must be built with limits. Look at Psalms 127, 128. He's talking about boundaries or limits in our homes. A boundary or a limit is a line of demarcation. You don't cross that. Hey, every builder is very important. They, they get the civil engineers out, do they not? And they get those people out who basically mark up everything so they know very carefully where that house will be built. And they're making sure that you don't get over the boundary line. And they put fences up there to make sure you stay within your boundaries. You don't cross over. And listen, by the same token, we've got to reevaluate our homes every now and then to make sure that we have limits or boundaries around our homes. Let me give you a few boundaries tonight in case we've slipped on that. Okay? Uh, let's build boundaries or limits within our associations and friendships. Check them out. Let's build boundaries or limits within the allocation use of our time. Listen, for especially for young people, everybody, you trust everybody. You haven't been burned yet, young people. You haven't been hurt yet. We need to build allocation, how we use our time. We're to redeem the time. But listen, as parents, we need to teach our children to redeem time. By the way, if we're not redeeming the time, we're not going to be good, very good teachers teaching our children how to redeem the time. Build boundaries or limits with computers, cell phone, and social media. Build boundaries or limits when it comes to criticism and complaining. Build boundaries and limits when it comes to work. Number one, go to work. But secondly, with excessive amounts of homework, no one to stop. So you're not obsessed by that. You're not controlled by it. I'd rather have a spiritual children than a scholarly child. Amen. I'd rather they have a heart for God than have a head, all this head knowledge. What good is all the head knowledge if they don't have a heart for God? And you're having to pay the price with a lot of gray hair, a loss of hair, and loss of sleep later on. And then finally, as we close tonight, our homes must be built by the Lord. Our homes must be built on love. Our homes must be built with limits. But would you notice this tonight and write this down? Our homes must be built to last. Homes must be built to last. You buy a custom-built home, you want it to last. You buy that track home, they tell you that roof is going to last 30 years. I would tell you this, that doesn't mean you neglect the roof. You better get somebody up there every two years to clean out your gutters and check the tile and make sure if there's some broken pieces, you replace those pieces. Make sure that the subcontractor that was up there did put paper down below it. Make sure that everything's done right. Make sure there's no holes and gaps. You better care for that thing. Listen, our homes must be built to last. Listen, if we're going to have homes, they're going to make Make it past the first year of marriage and the fifth year of marriage and 15th year of marriage and 30th year of marriage and 40th year of marriage. We've got to do some things to make sure we keep on building those homes to last. Let me give you some thoughts. When they're built to last, 
They will endure the shifting values of society. And by the way, they are shifting very badly right now. Our governor is signing bills right now. They want to vaccinate your child until they're, they're whacked out. They're signing bills right now of trying this, this whole shift in human sexuality, reformatting. Listen, the generation, if the Lord tarries, God only knows in 10 years, maybe five years from now, the kind of thinking children in the public school are going to be conditioned with. You say, well, that's just the way it is. I'm going to tell you, it might be the way it is, but it's not normal and it's not godly. It's not normal. You write that down. It's not normal. Billy having two fathers, Susie having two mothers, that is not normal. That is not biblical. And everything's about somebody's rights. Brother Jess was talking about that a, a few weeks ago in one of the devotions, talking about some lady that got in his face and said, well, I want you to know, is your church for reproductive rights? I said, you know what, I'm glad what he told her. He said, you know what, the only thing we're, that we're right about is we're right about God. So notice some things. If our homes are going to be built to last, they have to endure the shifting values of society. They have to endure this disappointments of failure. By the way, you know, sometimes failure is good for our kids. They must endure the attacks of Satan. And by the way, his attacks are intensifying. Amen? And the unexpected storms that will come. Notice Psalms 128, verses 4 and 5. There's the lasting blessings of holiness. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion. Thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. There's the lasting blessings of holiness. Psalms 128, verse 2, there's the lasting blessings of hard work. Thou shalt eat the labor of thy hands. In Psalms 127, verse 5, in Psalms 128, verse 2, there's the lasting blessings of happiness. Look at it. Psalms 127, verse 5, happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. He said in Psalms 128, verse 2, happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Notice Psalms 128, verse 3, there's the lasting blessings of a healthy home. He said in verse 3, thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the side. As you say there, hey, you got a happy wife and a contented wife, and she's madly in love with you. You're madly in love with her. She's like a fruitful vine by the sides of your house. And he's talking about your children love you, and you love your children. You've got a wonderful home there. And he says, thy children are like olive plants round about thy table. And by the way, I remind you tonight, for the core here at this church, remind you tonight, those are the people, we're, we're trying to reach people whose homes are not like that, and people who are trying to figure out, why is my home upside down, and why is my marriage having difficulty, and why are my children the way they are? Hey, I saw this morning a new family today, the kid was going, going crazy on their cell phone while we were shaking hands, and the mother knew that was disrespectful, and went, right that on the kid's hand there, and I was going to say, right on, but I said, I better not, you know? <clears throat> The kid was embarrassed. He looked at me, and I tried to be loving. I said, hey, you know what? Your mom loves you, and she does. But notice there's the lasting blessing of a heritage. Children are the heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. The very last verse, Psalms 120, yea, thou shalt see thy children's children in peace upon Israel. A young executive got a huge promotion. He bought a very expensive Jaguar. I don't know why, but he bought a Jaguar. I mean, it was just, he had driven out of the dealership. It was barely two weeks old. 
to have the dealer's plates on it, shiny. I mean, he loved that car. He backed out of his driveway and was going down his nice suburban neighborhood. And he was very careful because that day was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a Saturday. And he was going out for just a drive, probably to a Starbucks or something like that, get some, maybe coffee there. And uh, he was driving down. He was very careful. All the children playing out in the sides there. He was afraid that maybe a ball would roll out in front of him. He didn't want to hit the ball. And he didn't want to hit a child. He being very careful. And as he came to a stop sign, he looked both ways. He looked both, all directions there. And as he was just about to take off, heard this loud thud against the side door of the passenger side. It was like a boom. And it wasn't somebody that ran into his door. It was an object that was thrown into his door, and it wasn't a ball. He immediately put the car in park. It was right there in the intersection because he knew it was something very bad. And somebody had thrown a brick at the passenger side of the door. He was livid. Man, it's a new car. I mean, <laughs> Barely two weeks old, it was a new car, and this brick, you could see the brick right there, and it left a terrible dent on the door, and you knew that you'd have to replace the whole door with such a bad dent. And he saw a kid right there that was looking, that was looking right at where that happened, and he said, that must be the kid that did it. And he immediately went up to that kid and grabbed him by the shoulder and said, kid, why did you do that, little boy? He said, why did you, th did you throw that brick in my car? Why did you do that, little boy there? Do you know what you did? Do you know what kind of car this is? Do you know how much money it's going to cost me to fix that door? Little kid, why did you do that? I mean, he was, he was unloading on that little kid. I mean, he was livid. That little boy started shaking that man's hands. Shaking more than a man could have shaken him. And tears were profusely coming out of that little boy's face. And he said, sir, stop. I needed to get your attention. I'm sorry I damaged your car, but I'm in desperate need of help. He pointed his finger over to the side. They're just maybe about 50 to 100 feet down the street. The man had not seen it when he drove by. He said, my brother fell out of his wheelchair. That's him on the pavement. I'm not strong enough to pick him up. That brother's been lying there for several minutes. He's bleeding and he's crying. Would you help me? And the man was trying to collect his thoughts that moment. I don't know about you, but, it, you know, his thoughts, he's trying to process all this. He saw this little kid crippling his legs, lying on the sidewalk there, crying. The little boy he held like this, he was just, he let the boy go. His instincts changed. He turned about to his left. He went over to that side where the little boy was at, and he quickly picked up the little boy. Said, "You okay?" And that meanness he had just seconds ago was erased by a gentleness. The little crippled boy who couldn't stand on his own feet. He said, "Let me help you up, son." He sat the boy down on the curb. Picked up the wheelchair. Put the pedals back down, the footrest for his little boy. Helped the boy up. Sat him in his chair. Strapped him in. Got him back onto the sidewalk where it was level. The little boy had thrown the brick, came up to him. He says, sir, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I hurt your car. But thank you for helping me. Thank you for helping my brother. Didn't know what to say.
young executive didn't know what to say. He's just, he's still trying to process all this. The little boy that hit his car with the brick, he still had tears coming down his eyes. He was shaking because he's thinking, I wonder if that man's going to come after me. And the young executive turned to the little boy and says, hey, you know what, why don't you get your brother home? Let me help you a little bit. He took a handkerchief out and he wiped the little boy's knees and got some water from a bottle that he had in his car. He dabbed it on his knees a little bit and dabbed it on him. And the little boy, his face was on the floor and he just took that little handkerchief and cleaned him up a little bit. He said, hey, son, you'll be okay. He turned to the boy that hit his car and he says, it's okay. Take your brother home. Tell your mother he fell down. Help your little brother out. Little boy turned around. He didn't know what to say. And he said, thank you, sir. He turned around and grabbed the handles, just started walking towards his home. Cars had been dry, started to drive, and they were going around the car. They saw what happened. The man stood there, totally oblivious to where he was going and what he was planning to do. He was just standing there thinking in his mind. What did I just do? He started thinking about, I gave more value to this Jaguar than I did about people. May I say this tonight before I close? Maybe sometimes God has to throw a brick at us to wake us up about our marriage, about our children, about our parents. Buried my dad at 92 just a couple years ago. To be honest, he was an older man, but I still wish I had my dad back. I buried a lot of church members, but I wish I had them back. I really do. Maybe God has to throw a brick at us. Remind us, we don't have a lot of time. Our homes must be built by the Lord, our homes must be built with love. Our homes must be built with limits. Our homes must be built to last. Who is building your home? Tonight, if you're not saved, the start of building a good foundation is calling on the name of the Lord to save you. I hope tonight we'll just be very genuine with the Lord. And if you have a great home, praise God for that. Things are going well. But I would say tonight we all need to work on some things because you know what? The old flesh gets in the way. The saint gets in the way. And sometimes it's, it's chapters like Psalms 127, 20, God throws that brick at us to kind of wake us up and to remind us, hey, you know what? That's the most precious thing you have. Don't waste it.